Today, Pastor Jamie continues the series, Signs of the Times, where today we will see the unveiling of our spiritual enemy, but we will also see the outcome that awaits them. So take a moment now to prepare your hearts for today's service. We started a series a couple of weeks ago called Signs of the Times. We've been looking at what scripture tells us about Jesus Christ, his second coming, about the end times and those types of things. We know that it's, it's often on the hearts of people. What does that look like? What is, what is going to happen? Are we living in it now? So we started all of this and we started looking at what Jesus proclaimed to his disciples as signs, signs of the time. We saw Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. They all carry this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus talks to them. He tells them all these different things. And we look at those things and we think, well, those things have been happening a lot. And they've been happening for a long time. They were happening even in Jesus's day. But the key that we see that he says is these things are like birth pains, which means that they're going to increase more and more. They're going to intensify more and more. And so what Jesus tells us is that those who endure will be saved. So we endure. And we live every day until he returns with active anticipation, not passive pandering. We live every day as if today could be the day. But if he's given us today, we have purpose in this day. And that purpose is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the peace of Christ. That can rule and reign in our heart and in our lives. And that's what we hold on to. And that's what we live with every day. And last week we looked at, we opened up the book of Revelation and we said, before we see anything else in the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation can be overwhelming. And before we see anything else in the book of Revelation, we've got to see Jesus Christ. Because that is the one who our faith is in. That is the one whom our hope is anchored to. And when we look in Revelation, we see a Jesus Christ who is the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. He's not dead. He's alive. He holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He's the worthy lamb of God that was slain for us to be freed for our eternal life. He's the righteous judge of the earth. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the bridegroom that will come for his bride who is the church. And he is the lion of the tribe of Judah that stands in victory over everything. This is the Jesus we see. And at the end of the book of Revelation, we see that he's saying the same thing he's been saying since the very beginning. And that is come to him. Come to him. That anyone that hears the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, come to him. The spirit of the bride, say come Lord Jesus. Aranatha. Jesus says come to him. And he is patiently waiting on all that will be saved. And we have to make that our proclamation as well until he comes. Because we have a spiritual enemy. There is a spiritual enemy that is constantly against the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is standing opposed to what Jesus has done. He's been standing opposed to the the prophecy of the coming of Jesus since the beginning. And he's standing opposed still today. But ever since the beginning, he's been told that his head has been crushed by Jesus Christ. But we've got an enemy. And today, we're going to look further in Revelation. And we're going to see the unveiling of this spiritual enemy. And what he looks like. And what's been taking place. And what's been going on. And we'll conclude next week just kind of getting a glimpse of what Scripture says about the end of time. But ultimately, this is what we've got to know. Our decision to receive Jesus Christ 
as our Savior, but not just our Savior, our Lord, that decision carries with it a destination, right? It carries with it a destination. We'll look at those next week. But today, let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Let's buckle up and let's remember our vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Amen? Revelation chapter 12, we'll start at verse 1. It says this, John writes these words, he says, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. And then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky. He threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Now, we read this, we read other things in the book of Revelation, and there's a lot of debate that takes place over how all this is playing out, over the timetable by which all this is taking place, what all this means, what all this refers to. And, and we're not really going to get into that, okay? So I'm sorry if that's what you're hoping for. I, I told you that in the first week. We're not really going to dive into timetables and things of that nature. But what I want us to understand, what I want us to see, what I want us to focus on is that this passage is showing us what has been happening since the beginning of time and what is still happening today. There is a war. There's a spiritual war. And that's what Paul references in his letter to the church of Ephesus that we read today. Ephesians chapter 6. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers of this world. There's a spiritual war that is going on between God and between our spiritual enemy who the Bible we just saw names Satan. That is our enemy. There is a war that is going on between that spiritual enemy and his army and God and his people. And it's constant. There is an enemy who is out to destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he wants to keep people away from faith in God. 
He has been resisting since the beginning. And he's going to keep resisting. And that resistance is only going to get stronger until Christ comes back. Here's the good news about resistance, though. Resistance, when you persevere through it, makes you stronger. Anybody that exercises or works out tells you the way they get stronger is by adding more resistance. And the more resistance that's added, the stronger they get. So when you see resistance from the enemy, look at it as, enemy, you think you're coming against me, but I'm only getting stronger. Not by my might, though. By the power of God. So as we keep reading in the book of Revelation, we see this more and more this unveiling. And so this is what we're going to see today, that we've got this enemy. Revelation calls him a dragon. This is Satan. So you've got this dragon. We're going to see that there's two beasts that Revelation talks about. And there is a spirit that hovers over it all. Okay? A spirit that comes from our spiritual enemy. Now, there's, going to, there's references in the book of Revelation that, that sound a lot like references that you read about in the book of Daniel. Okay? Now, I want to either remind you or inform you, we did a series on the book of Daniel near the end of 2021, all right, 2021. We did a series on that. You can go, if you go to our website and just search on our website, Daniel, you should be able to find it, all right? And we talked about those Im- that imagery in the book of Daniel there. But there's images here that equate a lot to those things. But when you go into Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13 begins talking about these two beasts that the dragon raises up, all right? The prominent belief of these beasts, and and I think the thing is we see patterns of these beasts throughout time. I'll show you that more in just a second. You see patterns of these beasts, but then you'll you'll there'll be an ultimate revelation of these beasts near the end of time, right? But one of these beasts represents a military power. One of these beasts represents a military power that wants to gain control of the world, all right? The second beast represents the economic propaganda that promotes that power, right? Revelation states that the first beast comes from the sea. And most believe that in the book of Revelation, the sea is metaphorically speaking of political powers. So this beast rises out of political power. We have seen this throughout centuries. A destructive, evil political powers that rises up in the world. John is actually living in the middle of one when he writes this. The Roman Empire was an evil military power. And he's living in the middle of that. And then this second beast rises up. Revelation calls him a false prophet. And this false prophet comes to back the first beast who is the false Christ or ultimately the Antichrist. Right? So you've got a dragon. You've got a first beast, which is an antichrist, and you've got a false prophet that backs it. That's three. That is a counterfeit trinity to God the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Everything the enemy does is a counterfeit of what God has already done. And it's all to deceive and all to distract you, okay? Now let's jump back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at what Paul describes. He, he describes more about this Antichrist, all right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, start at verse 1. 
Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He'll even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. And it will remain secret until the one who's holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus Christ... (laughs) will kill him with the breath of his mouth. That just symbolizes the power of God. He doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do is speak and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth That would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Now, let's let's look at this a little bit. Paul tells us that 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 as we get closer to the return of Christ, we're gonna see a, a rise of lawlessness, a rise of violence, and a rise of this spirit of the Antichrist. Are we seeing that more and more across our world? Yes. Is Jesus getting close to returning? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, our hope, yeah. I mean, if, if we're followers of Christ, we, we long for the coming of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus. Active anticipation, right? But we just live every day as if it could be today. Now, the thing about this spirit, Paul tells us this in his letter. John, in his other letters, not, Re- not just Revelation, but in his other letters that he writes, you see 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Within those letters, he talks about also, just as Paul, that there is a spirit of this Antichrist that already exists in our world. But there's ultimately one who rises to be that Antichrist. Now, I want to just give from this passage of Scripture, from Thessalonians, from Revelation, just some signs so we're aware, because we need to be aware of these things that could be in front of us so that we are not deceived. That's the ultimate thing. Jesus said this to his disciples. He started, when he started talking Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, don't be deceived. That was like his ultimate thing. Don't be deceived. So we can't be deceived. So these are marks. These are things we need to pay attention to. One, he's called in Scripture a man of lawlessness, a son of uh, destruction, a son of perdition. Perdition basically means punishment. A man of, a son of. So that means the common predominant belief is that this is a person, right? Some believe it might be an entity. Some believe it might be an organization. The prominent belief, this is a person because of how he's referred to. When I started out in ministry, I started part-time at a church in Columbia. A guy was telling me that he believed Apple was the Antichrist, the organization Apple, right? Because their logo was an apple with a bite out of it, right? I think that's just some type of their way of saying they have cute, a cute way of saying they've got knowledge, okay? But, but he was saying that he believed that that was Antichrist. Scripture points to a man of, a son of, his common belief, this is a person, all right? He opposes 
Every deity exalts himself over every deity and exalts himself as an object of worship, one who is to be worshiped. Now, when you read in Revelation chapter 13, you come to this thing that that we commonly talk about that John refers to as a mark that people will take as an allegiance to this one. We call it the mark of the beast, right? Now, John's, the, the best words that you can get from John in Revelation chapter 13 when he's talking about this is John says this. He says, wisdom is needed here. <laughs> wisdom is needed here, all right? But this mark, again, the enemy counterfeits everything. It could be a counterfeit to the Shema, which in Jewish culture was an ancient prayer of allegiance, Right, let's, let's, let me show it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, start at verse 4. Said this, said, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus Christ echoed that, right? And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Jesus summed that up by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love one another as you love yourself. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Then look at this. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. This was the prayer of Shema. It was written on their foreheads. It was written on their hands as a symbol of them devoting all of their thoughts and all of their actions to the one true God. So the mark can act as an anti-Shema, which is a rebellion of say, to God because this, elite, this power wants allegiance only to them. Now, where does 666 come in? Just to hit this. John is believed to be fluent in both Hebrew and Greek. Most scholars believe that he was fluent in Hebrew and Greek. And readers know that Hebrew, the letters in Hebrew also can be uh, function as numbers. And if you take the Greek word of beast and you spell that out in Hebrew, it equates to the numbers 666. Interestingly, Nero Caesar, if you spell Nero Caesar, who was the ruler of the empire of Rome at that time, if you spell his name out as well and equate it to the numbers, it equals 666. Was John saying that that Nero was at that point in time the beast, the, the antichrist? No, obviously he wasn't that. But he's a representative of that beast. He carries the nature of that. This is what I was saying earlier. There's prototypes of this that come, but there's ultimately one who will come. Human rulers become beasts when they assign divinity to their power. All right? And and when they assign divine divinity to, to their economic structure, and when they demand total allegiance to them over anything else. Babylon was this beast in Daniel's day, followed by Persia, followed by Greece, followed by Rome in John's day. So here's the thing. We must not, this is what we have to know. We must never pledge allegiance. Is Javen saying don't pledge allegiance to to the state? Don't pledge allegiance to the state? Don't pledge allegiance to anything, any power over your allegiance to Christ. Nothing holds power over your allegiance. If you're a follower of Christ, nothing holds power over your allegiance to Christ. It's common belief. He's, he's a person. He de- puts himself as an object of worship, puts himself over every deity, opposes every deity. You know, another belief is he, he, another thing that we see in scripture is he takes his seat in the temple of God and proclaims himself to be God. 
Now, we talked about this in our Daniel series. Many look at Antiochus IV Epiphanes that centuries ago put himself into the temple of God. He desecrated the temple of God. He twisted sacrifices in the temple of God. And he proclaimed himself to be God and said people need to worship him as God. So people point to that. Well, you know, so that was, thought that was the Antichrist. But, and then the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. That's why many believe that the temple is going to be rebuilt. Because it's spoken of in scripture that he will place himself in this temple and he will proclaim himself to be God. Another thing about the Antichrist is he will no longer be restrained. Paul tells us that he will be released. That means nothing can stop him. He starts, nothing stops him, nothing stands in the way. Then we see too, Paul says, he produces signs and wonders. Revelation 13 talks about the false prophet with him, produces signs and wonders. Revelation 13 talks about the first beast having a fatal wound and still living. Sounds like a lot like Christ, right? The anti-Christ. It's a counterfeit. This is what we have to be aware of. This is what we have to... Lori beautifully talked about how Jesus Christ still works miracles in our life. And I believe Jesus Christ still works miracles in our life. He still does things in us. He still performs signs and wonders. This is why I believe that the Holy Spirit is still active and still working. That I'm not a cessationist. That I don't believe that the gifts of God have stopped within the body of Christ. Because why would God allow and permit the enemy to have a power that his people don't have? Right? He still works. But this is what you have to know and this is what you have to be aware. You cannot chase signs and wonders more than you chase Christ. Christ is the root of it. If you chase signs and wonders, then you are subjective to deception. This is why Jesus, when the people kept coming to him and wanting things, he said, this generation, you're always looking for a sign. You're always looking for something. Now he would do things, but he knew their heart. They came and got what they wanted and they left when the teaching got tough. That's why Jesus doesn't want you chasing signs and wonders. Because he also knows that the enemy is going to come to deceive through signs and wonders. Chase Christ. Pursue Christ. When you worship Christ, when you put your focus on Christ, signs and wonders are going to follow because that's Christ. But you chase him. You pursue him. You worship him. Even when you're not getting the answer you want, you keep worshiping him. You keep pursuing him. And then he'll give you what you need. But this enemy produces these signs and these wonders. He brings wicked deception. Wicked deception. One of the main roles of the enemy. Revelation 12 told us this. He is the accuser of the brothers and the brethren. And he is the author of confusion. Right? And the Antichrist carries that spirit. He accuses and he confuses. (laughs) He wants you to believe that what Jesus Christ did for you, it's not real. It carries no weight in your life. He wants to point to everything in your life and talk about how and and make it bring guilt on your life. He wants to tear you down. Jesus may convict you through your Holy Spirit, but the point of that conviction is to bring you to him, to rebuild you, to make you new and to build you up in him. But the enemy counterfeits all that. He wants to make you think that Jesus Christ and his word holds no weight in your life. That Jesus is not does not exist. And listen, we are living in a day and age where it is extremely easy to be deceived. And we have got to understand that. We've got to realize that. We have got to make to, to be aware of that in every day that we live. Another thing about 
this man of lawlessness is that he leads those who take pleasure in unrighteousness. So a, a, a word of warning here is if you're a person that is drawn to rebellion or you're drawn to lawlessness, even deceptively to no moral guidelines in your life, that you don't need moral guidelines in your life. You're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to the man of lawlessness. Lastly, when you look at scripture, it's believe this, this, this individual wants to rule and reign from a global rule that possibly rises out of global oneness. Now, the world will make you think that the only way to stop lawlessness and to stop these types of things and to stop violence is through oneness and globalism. And unity, there is power in unity. There's no doubt about that. But the thing about globalism is globalism equates to the spirit of Babylon, which is an enemy of the spirit of God. We see that in the book of Revelation. I'm going to point it out to you in just a second. We see that all throughout scripture, all throughout the Bible. And it's been there since the beginning. The, the, the beginning of this spirit started, the origin of Babylon started when it, what happened at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, when the people wanted to unite and build a tower towards heaven. But God then created languages and they scattered throughout the earth. So this, this is what we need to be aware of. This is what we need to take note. These things, this, the culminative aspect of these things from Scripture about this Antichrist, this person. But there's a spirit that Revelation talks about that hovers over all of this. John calls her a prostitute that sits on the back of the first beast. So let's look just a couple of verses of what he says. Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. A mysterious name was written on her forehead. Look there. Babylon the Great. Mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk. Drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. And I stared at her in complete amazement. So this spirit, there's something about it. There's something powerful about this spirit that even John was captivated in the vision by it. But see, this is what we're seeing throughout all of this that's being displayed. There's two kingdoms at work here. There's a kingdom that carries with it the spirit of the prostitute. And there's a kingdom that carries with it the spirit of Jesus Christ. And we live in one of those. But she's called a prostitute. Why is she called a prostitute? Because at her core is a spirit of adultery. A spiritual adultery that's rooted in sin. Again, she's Babylon. That is the long-standing symbol of man's rebellion against God. At the, at the core of Babylon is a, is a spirit that says that I'm going to do what I want to do rather than what God has called me to do. At the, at the, at the core of this, of what carries with it, this Babylon is I am the center of my life. Nothing else is going to be the center of my life. Jesus Christ is not going to be the center of my life. Revelation chapter 13 shows us, or, uh, that, or Revelation 17 shows us, that this spirit is a very attractive spirit. It is, it is intoxicating. It draws you in. It makes huge promises, and it delivers, but only for a moment. It delivers long enough to suck you in and get you stuck. This spirit also is super religious. Again, 
the beast carries with it and the false prophet signs and wonders. It is super religious. And it tells us that God's people are deceived by this. Jesus even told his disciples, many will be deceived. That's why you have got to know any religion, any religion, any faith that tickles your ears outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only that, any faith that manipulates the gospel of Jesus Christ to make you take that and like it, that that teaches against what Jesus represents, but manipulates it. It's a false gospel. Just because it makes you feel good by what you hear, you you need to know that. But she is successful at seducing God's people because of this religious spirit that she carries. And you may have noticed a statement in Thessalonians that said, God will cause them to be deceived. And you're like, what's up with that? Why would God cause them to be deceived? Listen, when you persistently refuse to obey the truth of God's word, you soon become incapable of receiving it. When you persistently refuse to accept God's word, every aspect of it, everything that may challenge what you want in your life, your desire, when you persistently refuse to accept the truth of it, you will become incapable of perceiving it. We see this all throughout the recording of the history of the Jewish culture and the Jewish nation. When they persistently refused to accept God's truth that he was giving them, they became incapable of receiving it. And that's what exiled them in the first place. And and Paul sums it all up in Romans chapter 1. Read Romans chapter 1. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Why? Because they persistently refuse to receive God's word. It's not that God literally calls them to be deceived. It's that God is God and he is sovereign. He is, he's not one that controls you. He permits it to happen because you choose it. But what we have to remember is that every violation of God's word inevitably brings its own consequences. And just like God is the author of the moral law that sits in our heart, that we know that is there, just like God is the author of this law that is within this universe, he is also the author of the consequences that come. We'll talk more about that next week. But we have to know as followers of Christ, our lifestyles cannot look like the world. Anyone who is in a part of an organized faith that is proclaiming things that are just like the world to make you feel good about yourself. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, when you look back over history of the church and when the church was healthy and when the church was alive and when the church was prospering, he made this statement. He said, put your finger on any prosperous page. And he's not talking about wealth prosperity. He's just talking about the fact that it's alive and it's well and it's growing and the movement is pushing forward. You put your finger on any prosperous sign in church's history and you will find this little marginal note, he says, in this age, one can see where the church began and the world ended. Why? Because there's nothing in the church that looked like the world. The lifestyle and the way you lived was different. Another thing about this prostitute is she hates Jesus. She hates Jesus. In every generation, before Christ and after Christ, there has been a spirit that hated God. And it hated anything that pointed to a coming Messiah. And it hated anything that points to the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus himself. And Jesus told his disciples, he said, they hate me. They're going to hate you. And we will never be good enough in the world's eyes that the world will speak well of us or of followers of Christ. But... You can live your life in a way, as Peter says, that their accusations carry no weight. And lastly, and most importantly, the thing to know about this spirit, about this be- these beasts, and about this dragon, <clears throat> they lose. They've already lost. <laughs> Re- Revelation 18. Again, he's the... He, He's the author of the laws. He's the author of the consequences. Revelation 18, verse 6. Look at what he says. Do to her, this prostitute, as she's done to others. Double her penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others. Uh, brewed twice as much for her. In other words, she's getting a strong cup, all right? And then it goes. She glorified herself and she lived in luxury. So match it now with torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart, I'm a queen on my throne. I'm no helpless widow. I have no reason to mourn. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her in a single day. Death and mourning and famine. She will be completely consumed by fire. For the Lord God, the Lord God who judges her is mighty. And remember this. What did Revelation 12 say? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We have to remain anchored in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross, the blood that was shed for us on his cross. Why? Because that act on the cross, his death, his resurrection, shows you exactly how much God and Jesus values you, how much they believe you are worth. And the more you grab what he's done to show you how much you're loved, how much you're valued, how much you're worth, the stronger you're able to stand in him. If your faith doesn't feel very strong, it could be that you're not grasping, like Paul says, his prayer was that you would, that your roots would grow down deep in the love of God, how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God. If you're not, if you're, if you're not feeling strong, it's, it's, possible that you're not grasping the depth of God's love for you. It's possible that you're not valuing how much God showed you. He values you. 
and you're allowing something to stand and carry more weight in your life than what he's done for you. You're allowing someone else's opinions, someone else's thoughts, something else you're reading. You're allowing your own thoughts and your own things in your own mind that you're tormented by. You're allowing those things to carry more weight in your life than what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. You overcome by the blood of the lamb and you overcome by the word of your testimony. Now, this isn't necessarily, this isn't talking about your personal testimony. Although every single person in this room who is a follower of Christ, you have a story. Every single one of you have a story and your story needs to be heard. Your story needs to be proclaimed because as Paul says, your story can help somebody else in their weakness. You may think my story doesn't, doesn't equate to someone else's story. There's just so much bigger. God's done so much more for them. Listen, Jesus died on a cross for all of us. And that's the testimony. No matter your personal story, the testimony of every single individual is rooted in the same testimony. And that's the testimony of the victory that comes through Jesus Christ who died on a cross and rose again. That's the testimony that we stand on. That's the testimony that we overcome with. And there's one other thing about followers of Christ that John said in that letter is they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Other translations say they did not love their life even when faced with death. Now that word can, it means literal death. It can also mean, metaphorically, death of sin that comes with sin. Ultimately, as followers of Christ, we love the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ himself more than anything else in this world and in our life. We love the gospel of Christ more than our dreams. We love the gospel of Christ more than our carnal desires. We love the gospel of Christ more than we love living a comfortable life. We love the gospel of Christ more than we fear dying. The spiritual enemy is overcome every time we love the gospel more than we love life defined by this world. More than we love our life being taken from us. We love it more than death because we know that Jesus Christ has already defeated death. Jesus Christ holds the keys to death and to hell and the grave. So this, this is the unveiling of our spiritual enemy that we see in the book of Revelation. This is the unveiling that we see. But we look at this unveiling and we remember the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That he stands over all of it. Don't forget who Jesus Christ is. He has the final word. He was there in the beginning. He's already there standing in victory at the end. So we rest knowing he's got a plan in the present wherever we are. Amen. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803 803- 
646-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.